Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, he was born in Colombia, raised in Canada, and then made his way to the Great White Way in New York City. And man, are we glad he did. Welcome Tony Award winning, Olivier Award winning, choreographer, director, dancer extraordinaire, Sergio Trujillo. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is the dancer, choreographer, director, brilliant at all those things, Sergio Trujillo. Sergio's Broadway credits include Ain't Too Proud, for which he won a Tony Award, Summer, A Bronx Tale, On Your Feet, Hands on a Hard Body, Leap of Faith, The Addams Family, Memphis, Next to Normal, Guys and Dolls, Jersey Boys, and All Ship Up. He also choreographed the Clint Eastwood-directed film version of Jersey Boys, and he himself started his career as a dancer on Broadway and in film and television. He's also an Olivier Award winner. Welcome, the brilliant Sergio, to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to meet you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Well, so many of your collaborators um, have been from Des Mackinoff and uh, and Mauricio Martinez and Jerry Mitchell and all of these um, admirers of yours who are previous guests. When they saw that uh, I was uh, going to be speaking with you, they all like push the heart emoji multiple times. Um, because not only are you so talented, you're so beloved, and that must feel good. Oh, no, but thank you. No, I will thank you to Des and to Jerry and to Mauricio. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate. You know, I think we're, a lot of us are, 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 have, have come to, to New York to seek out our, our dreams and, you know, and, and we've aspired for so much. And I think that, um, you know, along the way, I've been fortunate to have met some really wonderfully talented and supportive people like Jerry and Des Mackinac actually. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've always, I've also always surrounded myself with, with people like them because, you know, I think we, it's, it's tough. It's tough here in the city at times, especially in the last, you know, year really. Yeah, that goes without saying. I mean, just for listeners, we're recording this in March of 2021. This episode will live forever, but we are very much, um, absorbing uh, what it has been one year into a pandemic, one year into a, a shutdown of all things live performance. I do hear a tiny, sweet little voice in the background on your end. It sounds like a little child. So you've also been entertaining at home, a young person 
Yes. Yeah. Well, excuse me, listeners, but it is my my three-year-old Lucas um, who decided to go through his terrible twos at the beginning of the pandemic. But so far we're doing okay. But yes, um, you know, I think I think this moment, this pandemic uh, being in this kind of uh, situation has has forced us to do things that, you know, we wouldn't normally do. So um, and luckily I've been able to spend a lot of wonderful, valuable time with my with my son uh, and my family, so like all of us, so it's it's actually it's a gift to be able to do that. Yeah, it's like stolen time in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you been? And we'll talk about. I mean, that's not your whole resume. I mean, I was scared that you might take a nap if I kept reading everything for so long. <laughs> um, but it should also feel like a great reminder of your legacy and the kind of work you've been doing for so long. Um, have you continued to, I mean, things have started to open up in other parts of the world, just not in New York yet. Have you continued to work on productions while you've been in lockdown? Yes. So, well, thank you for that. Thank you for reading my resume because I forgot some of those shows. Um, They're so very was, good. <laughs> um, you know, I think one of the things that, that I kept on asking, that I keep on asking myself is when, when this is all and done with and done and over and over and done with, you know, when, how am I going to feel looking back at the last year to 18 months? And so how, you know, and I want to reflect on that and think, well, did I make the most of that time? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and where did I invest it? And um, luckily, so when I won, and I'm not just saying this to, to, to sort of name drop, but when I won my Tony Award in 2019, I, I made a personal contract with myself. And that contract was that I was going to be in the front lines and making sure to ensure that the stories about the Latino culture are being told. And that, I, so, I, so I'm carrying that on my back because I feel like, you know, here I am giving an opportunity, a megaphone, and what do I do with that? So I've used my time, um, I think, very efficiently in, in the last year because I've, I'm in the process of developing four new original musicals that are all based on uh, books that have been written by Latino uh, authors or, I, or plays that are, or you know, so on and so forth. So, and I'll name them for you if you're interested, but, uh, of course. you know, because I, and it's, and it's actually too, that what has been positive and constructive about this period has been the fact that I've had the time to be able to really focus and talk to people on Zoom and be able to connect and talk in that way. Because otherwise I'd be flying all over the world and rehearsing this show and that show. And, and those moments would be very, uh, very uh, fleeting. Yeah. Um, I'm actually working on, uh, yeah, so, one of the projects that I'm developing is um, based on, host, on a play written by a woman, uh, la, uh, Latina writer, Josefina Lopez, who wrote a, a play called uh, Real Women Have Curves uh, back in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I know the and title so, and I know yeah. the piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my husband and I have a production company that is whose mission it is just that to develop and produce uh, Latino, Latinx. Do you material. mean your very unattractive husband? <laughs> yes, of 30 he, years. Yes, yes, yes. I feel so sorry for both of you that you have to look at each other. But that's, I mean, that's another podcast. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, well, he would love to hear that. Um, he, uh, 
so it so it's based on that play and uh it's you know it's actually jack's idea and because he has always felt that it was it would be a love song to the women in my life my mother my sister my mom who came to from colombia to canada and became a seamstress she worked at a factory you know and so these are the lives you know hard lives of, of an immigrant woman in america um and uh, it is a, a beautifully coming of age empowering story about a young girl who is uh who lives in los angeles this is a, a real woman have courage and are you adapting it as a musical or as yes a piece yeah of, okay yeah it is being adapted as a musical uh the author lisa loomer is writing the book uh, wow. we, we've um we have a uh, a team, uh, a Mexican team writing the music by the name of Jesse and Joy, who won the Grammy for Best Contemporary Artist. They've won a few uh, Latin Grammys, but they're incredibly talented. They're storytellers and their music is just so incredibly tuneful and beautiful. They're from the out, they're not from the theater world. And that's what I wanted. You know, we wanted to create a, a sound that was, that felt, that felt very authentic, but yet had a, a fresh perspective. So of all of the, I mean, I want to talk about your Tony speech in a minute, because when people ask me, you know, everyone's like, what's one of your favorite Tony moments? And there are so, you know, uh, there are so many to choose from. But in recent history, your Tony acceptance speech um, had everyone globally sobbing for two reasons. One, you were so in your body, you transformed from grown man to like seven year old boy, your face was like, lit up like getting the bike on Christmas you've dreamed of. And then you brought into the conversation because at the time uh, our last president was president here in the United States and immigration, words like immigration and, and, and dreamers, these were all words in the lexicon of our culture, still are, but were really front and center in terms of, they were triggers for everyone in terms of just what was going on. Um, and your acceptance speech was so filled with love. And then it was um, a, a love letter to immigrant stories, to dreamers, and, and, a, and a sort of call to arms, you know? And I've never seen anyone use that moment to both be gracious and accepting an award and able to thank all the people in the world of that production who, who we build the thing with, but I, I, it should be a TED talk. I mean, maybe it is. It was the most extraordinarily beautiful speech. Um, and I wonder when you gave it and everyone go to YouTube, stop listening to this podcast, go to YouTube and watch him win and then come back. We'll be right here for you when you are ready. Um, tell me, did you know you were going to win? Did you have a, a sense that you might win? Um, you know, I, I, um, I've had such a history with the Tony Awards, me personally. And again, I don't do what I do for the awards or the accolades. I do it because it is my calling, because it is part of my destiny. It is my gift. Yeah. Um, the the awards, the recognition come as a as a bonus, as a sort of um, really as a as a expression of of the community being incredibly supportive and expressing their love for what it is that you did at that point in time. Um, but I've had moments, you know, before that, before I won the award where, you know, I felt like I had been overlooked. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I didn't never expected it, but you know, based on what everybody else said, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, I, I try to keep myself incredibly, but I can't deny that I was, I've been, uh, I had been heartbroken in the past because it didn't happen. And I'm being incredibly honest. Right. Uh, so I didn't, you know, you can never gamble on anything. You know, you can never be sure on anything. So I was happy to be there. I, I knew we had a phenomenal opening. You know, our, our number was going to be, was going to be explosive. And it was so, you know, so I, if, if I, I was sure, like I said to myself, if, 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 even if I don't win, I'm just going to show the world that this show is spectacular. Yeah. And those actors, so. I mean, the dancing, this, the, everything, their hearts, their hearts are on their sleeves as they're performing. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So, but, so I didn't, so I didn't expect, so I, okay. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I, let's just leave it. I think that's the, the best way. But to then you heard your name. Did you hear your name or was your head like, sometimes it feels like there's cotton and you can't hear anything. Yes. Um, I think, you know, it's, um, I think we all talk about dreams and we all talk about things that we aspire to become reality and things that we man one manifested or we manifest or become manifested. But when when something is becomes so incredibly real, like so something that you have been, and I think it's important for us to always maintain, it's interesting that you said that I was like a seven-year-old because I feel like that is something that we all have to always stay in touch with. We have to stay in touch with our inner child. We have to stay in touch with the, the dreams I think dreams keep you going. And, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, you know, I'm a realist, but I'm also a dreamer. Mm. And, um, and so when that moment happens, you're, you're, you're just have an out of body experience for a second, because it is reaffirming, you know, that things like this do happen. Yeah. And that things like you can happen to a person like me. Um, and a moment that you have been desiring for for a long time is actually happening so all of those things yeah all come into play for those seconds and then all of a sudden you're saying okay well you know that you only have 90 seconds from the moment you leave your chair to the moment you have to finish your speech and you say oh my god I gotta get on stage really fast because I gotta thank everybody and then I gotta say what I gotta say yeah Yeah. (laughs) that so that's what was going and then and then my you know I'm just I'm just you know it's just like you're just floating yeah. You're floating, and and I I want everyone that is listening to to just imagine like you just have like it's just it is is a glorious moment. It's a glorious feeling, um, and yeah, I mean it's it's just it's special. It's special. Well, it was powerful and beautiful and raw and emotional and so truthful. And and actually, it looked like you ice skated onto the stage, <laughs> like you were literally gliding. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your story, because when when did you, how old were you when, when you left Columbia to go to Canada? So I was, I was 12 years old. Okay. And so when did your realization that this, I mean, I would imagine dance uh, and music it was was part of your childhood and 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 life. But but the Broadway side of things, the sort of musical theater, how did how did that come into your life? 
So, you know, I think, I mean, I've always had dance and music in my, in my life. You know, my family is very social. They love dance. They love music. My dad and my brother loved music. You know, they would gather each Saturday, Friday and Saturday nights, and they would play music. And my mom would start dancing with my dad, my sister. We would all start dancing. So dance has always been a big, huge part of my life, mm-hmm. of, my, of, my, of my, uh, my childhood and growing up. So it was inevitable that one of us in our family was going to end up dancing. And so I, early on, when I was a little boy in Colombia, you know, I remember putting on my dad's classical records on his, on his record player and dancing or classical music. You know, my parents didn't know any better. They didn't, you know, they just thought this kid just loved to dance, but you know, they didn't put me in a dance school. They didn't okay. put me in dance classes. It wasn't, I actually, I'm, Person, me, I went and found it. I went in Colombia. I went and joined uh, a, a folkloric dance troupe. Uh, I think I was like eight years old. I I went myself. I went all alone and I joined it. You know, I had a lot of of my own my own. I did it out of my own incentive. I took it upon myself to you know to go and take those dance classes. Wow. My parents were always supportive. And it wasn't part of their, the way that they thought it. And a lot, and you know, in the Latin culture, it's just a lot of stuff that is, it can happen like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got to Canada, the same thing, you know, I kept, then all of a sudden, you know, I just started to see different, different kind, different kind of dance, right? Because um, in there Columbia, a Colombian community where your family, did you have relatives? Like, why Canada? Why was that journey made? You know, it's a big world. So how did yeah. they specifically decide Canada. Yeah. So my, um, well, of course, our family was slowly emigrating, from, emigrating, from leaving Colombia, really, uh, because it became tough, not only uh, financially, but also it, it was became very violent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's during the, the all of the cartels, the cocaine cartels and the drug lords. And it became were you incredible. aware of that as a little boy? No, not really. So I you wasn't were protected. Yeah, I was protected, you know. I mean, but it was, I mean, it became very dangerous. So my mm-hmm. family wanted to really they went to they came to North America in search of a better life. Um the the goal was to come to America to to the US, but it was tough to get into the US. It was almost impossible. So my family immigrated all one by one to Canada because it was easier to get into Canada. Okay. Um, so, and it was one of my uncles that left first. So between between 1969 and 1976, the whole family immigrated to Canada. Wow. So your yeah. mother's siblings, your father's siblings, both? Yeah, my mom's, all of my mom's siblings. My dad wow. didn't have a sibling. So okay. it was just, yeah. So, you know, it was, it was like a true immigrant story, you know, that we came to America. We came to North America in search of a better life. And when you get to, where in Canada were you guys? Toronto. We were in Toronto. When you Toronto. get to Toronto, do you know any English? No, not at all. None. Zero. Zero. So, yeah. But as a child, you, you know, you, the, your ability to pick up languages is easier than as an adult. So I think within, within, I think a year and a half, I was, I was quite fluent. That's so, incredible. Yeah. And, and were you fluent just thrown into an English speaking school or was there with and where's anyone speaking Spanish in in your world outside of your home yeah so they they when in school when you come from as an immigrant they usually 
put you in, a, in an ES, English as a second language mm -hmm. course. So it was the ESL class. And in that class, they were actually, you asked this question. Yeah, there were other, there was another Colombian family. There was a Lebanese family. I think there was a, a Pakistani family. Canada is, was, is incredibly multicultural, very multicultural. And did your family stay there even though you came to, to be on the boards with, with other New Yorkers who wanted to be on Broadway or did they all come here? No, no, I ventured. So uh, I lived in Canada from the age of 12 until I was 24. Okay. Um, and then when I turned 24, well, I was, I took a year off from school, from chiropractic school, and I came to New York to try, you know, to try and see if I can make it in New York City as a dancer. Okay, so that is a really <laughs> known fact that we can save till the end, but you're a chiropractor, or you went to chiropractic school. No, no, school. I, went to, I went to chiropractic school. I went to university first. I went to the University of Toronto. Okay. I, I studied sciences, biochemistry, and then I went to chiropractic school. And it was while I was in chiropractic school that I took a year off in my second year to come to the States because I was, I was, I mean, with it, between that entire time, I was, I was training. I started training at the age of 18, 19 years old my last year of high school when I started university uh, and I fell madly in love with dance. I discovered dance, classical dance, jazz, dance, modern, and I just went insane. So I, I had to juggle academics and, and my dance and that became my obsession. Uh, and then, you know, I just, as, as I was going to school, I just sort of felt like there was this calling, you know, this inner voice that for me felt like, I, I, it was it was sort of this light was was you know pointing me towards towards dance and um, you know it's the thing about really listening you know I talk about dreams but I also talk about listening to you in her voice and listening to that other you know that will always guide you in the right path and uh, you know I, I I reached a fork on the road it was either stay in school become a chiropractor or take a leap of faith and come to America and try out and see if you can become a dancer and. And, uh, and I took a leap of faith and I came to America all by myself without knowing anyone. And, uh, you know, the first year, well, the first year was tough um, because I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any resources. I mean, what I, did you I, literally do? Like literally you flew. Uh, I, my parents, my parents drove me to Buffalo, New York. Okay. I took, and then I took from Toronto and then I took a plane from Buffalo to New York City. Okay. And, and then, then I you got get to the airport and then like literally what do you do? Well, I knew that if I went to the YMCA I can get a room for really cheap. Wow. Uh, but I had saved enough money so that I could pay for a certain length of time and then I figured that while I was there I I think I gave myself like a 2 month sort of budget. And then okay. I found through being at different dance schools, um, I met various people who offered me a place to stay at their in their apartments. And, you know, I would pay them rent in exchange for, you know, for letting me stay. You know, I would sleep on a couch or, you know, on the floor. And I would eat very little because I had a budget of like, I think it was like $20 per day so yeah. that I can pay for classes. You know, all of the things that you do when you're a foolish 20, 20, 20, 20 old something. But I feel like if you and Jack have been together as long as you've been together, it, it wasn't that long after that you met each other. Yes. Yeah, so we met um, when 
we so I, after being in New York for a year, I got my first Broadway show, which was Joan Robbins Broadway. <laughs> yeah, and first uh, of all, that you started at eighteen, like you were the first person who is a dance person. Every single other guest is like, I was three. So a right. that you started at eighteen, it's like I decided to be an Olympic athlete at eighteen. Already, right. that's <laughs> insane. Then you come to New York. Within a year, you're in Jerome Robbins Broadway. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Bye. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> I think I think within a little bit of the people. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> I mean, it's it, there's a lot of bruises. There's a lot of there's a lot of scars along the way. So it's, that wasn't that, that it wasn't that you know it wasn't just that you know rosy. it's a lot of hard work. In retrospect, that's a fast journey. Um, bumps in the road, bruises physical, emotional hardship. Um, that is a show. That's not actors who dance, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about the danciest of dancing shows. And in a very short time, you became someone who could do that work at that level. Yeah, I think it's called knowing that you started too late, mm -hmm. knowing that you're always catching up, knowing that you're always, that there is always someone better than you because they've had a longer time to train. And that means that you become incredibly, I mean, I worked my butt off. You know, I worked harder than everybody else. I always felt like I was catching up. I, you know, my entire dance career, that's how I felt like, you know, mm -hmm. that I was that I was always competing with people who were better than me. So I had to be even better. I had to always show up. That's what it meant. It's yeah. that, that, and that, and that I always kept telling myself that. Yeah. That's and, what that means. And were you saying that was the show where, when you met Jack? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Jerome Ramos probably. Wow. In 1989. That's so sweet. Yeah. You were also in the movie Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that great? Yeah, yeah, I had a great time. But for Rob Marshall, who I love and adore. Yeah, I mean, it's it's forever. It's immortalized on. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's kind of incredible. A lot of people can have um, a work ethic and a discipline. Um, but the idea that you were able to so quickly sort of break in, um, but then... You know, Jerry's been on the show, other people who danced in many, many shows before they segued into chorea being a choreographer and then a director, obviously. Um, there's your good man, Charlie Brown, that behind me, the Jerry. Oh, yeah. With Andrew Lippa. Only, yeah, he was the choreographer for yeah. that. Um, and he said something to me, and, and, you know, I'm sure you've had to deal with this. I was not, I mean, honestly, I'd never done a musical, period. But I remember Jerry, when they hired me and I kept saying, you guys, there are so many people in that waiting room who have done so, I was like, do you know who's out there? I couldn't even believe who was in the waiting room, let alone that I was auditioning. And I remember Jerry saying to me on the first day, cause I was like, Jerry, I've never had to dance in anything. I just want everyone to know. I, there can't be, there's no tricks or smoke and mirrors. Like, look at my resume, not one musical. And he was like, by the time we open on Broadway, no one will know that. I will create something that you feel so confident in. And I tell this story, A, I think he was pretty successful. I wouldn't say that I'm his, you know, poster child of non-dancer to dancer, but we came up with something 
comedic and my character was comedic, but I had John Lloyd Young uh, in conversation and he was telling me about his Jersey Boys experience. And the way he talked about you was like, you were not just the brilliant choreographer that you are, but like a really rough coach that, got, <laughs> <laughs> that saw what he could do, but you were not easy about it. And he wanted Tony, so thank you, Sergio from John Logan. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what it's like when the way Jerry Mitchell was saddled with me, when there's someone who the director is like, this is who I want. Can you get this person there? Um, what do you do when that happens? Well, you know, that's interesting because I, I, I mean, I, that's, I, love, I love to tell the John Lord Young story because I think it just, I mean, it's, I remember when I walked into the room and the producer said, we have one person that we love to play Frankie Valley, but we're not sure how he dances. Mm. So I was on my way to the studio, to the, to the next studio where John Lloyd was waiting for me. And my assistant, Kelly Devine, came out and she said, don't go in there. And I said, what's wrong? She said, he can't dance. And I said, let me see. So I went in there. in there. Yeah. And I walked, you know, and I, and I worked with them for a little bit. And I saw, you know, it was going to, I knew it was going to be challenging. I knew what I had, you know, the work that I had ahead of me. And so I went back to the room and I said to the producers, I said, if you want him to be Frankie Valley, if you want him in the show, then you have to give me this amount of time before we begin rehearsals. Mm -hmm. But I think the reason why I believed in John at that point, when I saw him in that room, even if it was like, it was like not even 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. It was because I saw this fire, this glint of perseverance and tenacity that to me it was like this guy is going to work his butt off to get you know he to wants get it. yeah and we did and we worked I remember vividly we worked for a whole summer I mean I had him stretching and because it wasn't only just about doing steps it was about getting him physically ready we I I would go you know I, I swim, I'm a swimmer. And, you know, he started swimming with me and he would do like with, with his vocal coach, he would like go underneath the water and to build his lung capacity to sing all of that falsetto stuff. And, um, but knowing that part of his personality was reassuring to me. And um, I remember the first time after, so after working months on and then being in rehearsals, I mean, I choreographed like when he unbuttoned his jacket, how he unbuttoned it, when he did this. I mean, every little bit of, of John Lloyd was, was choreographed. Wow. But I'll never forget the first preview in New York when he finished the what we call the, the three, the big three, which is um, Sherry, Big Girls Don't Cry and Walk Like a Man. It's a great moment in the show. And the audience went absolutely berserk and I saw John's face like he had never heard that that I mean it just brought so much pride and it was a great partnership and I've never been more proud of one of my actors than I've been of John because he really stepped up and he you know and to see him blossom and grow and become this you know this this actor and this you know real I mean a triple threat all of a sudden yeah. was was really incredibly validating and, and, and wonderful. How did you uh, make the transition um, from being a dancer on film and television and, and, you know, Broadway to being a Broadway choreographer and now director? 
Yeah, you know, I think you know, I think it's it's always been part of my journey, mm-hmm. uh, part of what you know the the path that I'm on. Because even as a little boy, and even when I was in school and high school, I hadn't even, never even taken a dance class, and I was choreographing. You know, I was choreographing the variety show, and I was choreographing this number for the girls, and I choreographed the Dream Ballet in, in Oklahoma. You know, with one of my friends who happened to be a ballet dancer, and you know, I'd never even taken a dance class in my life, but he, there I am choreographing. So you know, it's part of you know part of the of the gift, part of the the thing that I love, part of, part of that I know what it is that I want to do, mm-hmm. and it's this is my is one of my passions. Is that how you found Broadway through like musicals in high school, or did you watch the Tonys growing up? Like, where did? No, you know, I didn't, I did I didn't watch the Tony Awards. I knew there was a Broadway thing because one of my teachers said, my French teacher said to me, she said, one day you're going to win a Tony Award. I had no idea what the hell she was talking about. I was in the 11th grade. I think I was in the 10th grade, actually. And she said that to me and I had no idea what she was talking about. So, uh, but, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was a uh, um, self-centered teenager, you know, high school and and all of the, the drama that comes with it, school, academics, and then this kid who was restless and creative. Um, but I didn't know all of the things that were, you know, my family, we didn't go to musicals. I, I The first time that I saw a show, which is actually where the light bulb went off, was I went to see a, a show at a theme park called Zulkana's Wonderland. And I saw they did, one of the shows they did was the best of Broadway. And I remember seeing that show and I was like, what is this? Oh my God, that's what I want to do. Uh-huh. So that's, that's, that's my exposure to, to, to Broadway. That was it. And, and the light bulb stuff. And in terms of, you know, the other powerful thing, and it, it's much more common now, it wasn't always common, is uh, people thanking their partners, their same-sex partners publicly when they win an award or, or just being out, publicly out. Um, you come from Colombia originally. Um, when when did you feel like you could be public about something so personal? Yeah, no, this is, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I think, I think culturally um, it's, it was tough. It was tough for me to really be myself, to Mm -hmm. be, you know, to be open about my sexuality growing up. And I think one of the reasons why I also left Canada, not only was it in pursuit of my dreams and what I wanted to do, but also I think it was, I think I was, I came here in search of, of my, you know, of, of really becoming the person that I, that I wanted to be. You know, that I didn't want to worry about, you know, not being open about who I was. My family didn't know that I was gay for a while, for a long time. But I think, you know, those are the the pressures of being Hispanic in a culture that is looks down upon it. But, you know, when I think about not to not to to talk about my 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 my, uh, Tony speech, but, you know, that that, you know, that I was able to openly say that to everyone, you know, to the world, because I think it is important that, you know, it, no matter how much progress we make, no matter how much we evolve, it's still, you know, that there are parts of the Latino culture that look down upon homosexuality. It's not only Latino culture, it's everywhere. It's every, everywhere. So, um, yeah. 
when I think about you talking about your sort of mission, both both working with Jack and your production company and also your personal mission of what kind of stories you wanna tell and put a light on, I think of on your feet and I feel like, well, that that fits so happily in that lane that you're describing of celebrating Latin culture. Um, Gloria and Amelia Estefan are just poster children, poster adults of, um, you know, people who have made careers uh, out of really celebrating that culture. Did you grow up listening to Gloria Estefan? Did you, did you dance around your house to her? Yeah, as a matter of fact, one of the first, I remember the first time I went to a gay bar and I remember the first time I danced to conga. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was my first that was like whoa who is yes, this and this what is was, well what is this place and oh my god what is this music so you know that was my I don't think I ever even told her that oh my god first, you actually, have to that's the first, best um but um no you know of course I listen to her music and of course it's it's the sort of part of the soundtrack of my of my um my 20s really uh, was was Gloria and this Miami Sound Machine and and um, you know the fact that there is this you know this sort of ground ground breaking sound this this woman who's a trailblazer who's you know breaking the mold and stepping into the limelight to represent of course she was a huge hero of mine continues to be uh, and to choreograph that show and to and to work on that show with you know one of my best friends Jerry Mitchell. You know, as a matter of fact, I don't know if Jerry didn't tell you this story probably, but so when I auditioned for Jerome Robbins Broadway, I auditioned for it in Los Angeles and Jerome Robbins did not come, but Jerry Mitchell came because Jerry was one of the associate choreographers on the show. And it was because of Jerry that I got hired for the Broadway show because Jerry said to Jerome Robbins, however, whatever, I came in as a replacement whatever he said to him was that I was the one that could fit that part, that track, hire that boy. Whatever he said was the thing that got me into the show. And I'm always so grateful to him. But then fast forward 25 years later, Jerry and I are in a, in a studio. I'm choreographing on your feet and Jerry's directing it. You know, it was just really just a complete circle. You know, that's yeah. the, the thing that, I, that we began to talk about first was about Jerry people like Jerry Mitchell, uh, friends of mine, you know, um, Des Makinoff, you know, how, you know, we build these, these partnerships, these, uh, these friendships, these love, these lifelong friendships that are not only become work relationships, but also life relationships. And that is the wonderful and beautiful thing about working here in New York and in this community. What was the first, was it Leap of, no, Matthew, what was the first Broadway show that you choreographed? So I was brought in to Dr. Uh, All Shook Up. Okay, yeah. Which I, at the time, I, and I'm going to voice this, I'm sorry to say this because I don't really talk about this, but at the time I was asked if I wanted to put my name on the show as a choreographer. And I decided that I would best, it was best for me to take the title of additional choreography by because I wanted to be respectful of, of the choreographer that was, had been hired for one. Mm -hmm. And because I knew I had Jersey boys coming oh, up. You already knew it was coming. Yeah. Cause I did it. 
I did it in like the so Costa Rica, yeah, in La Jolla, and then okay. this happened later that year, later that. So they that. called you in because they had they were it wasn't working with the previous choreographer, and they asked you to come in and help. Yeah, they asked me to come and choreograph one number. Okay. And of course, I knew that if I choreograph one number, that I, you know, it was my opportunity to really show off and really make sure that I, you know, that that I impressed the producers. And then they said, "Well, can you re-choreograph the entire show?" And I right. said, "Of course, yeah, of course." And it was with one of my other most uh, frequent collaborators, Chris Ashley, who I love and adore as well. And we've done many productions together. And uh, uh, you know that began the the relationship with with um, with Chris as well. Um, what is you know, it's what I was saying earlier. And Michael Greif. I mean, the list is so long of yeah. of of. It's such a remarkable, remarkable resume. Because nothing repeat. You never repeat yourself. Never. I mean, other than remounting the same shows in other places, which is also incredible, um, and bringing them to other countries, uh, your resume is just extraordinary in how unique every single thing is. Um, although, though, obviously, there are there are bits of Memphis that you can take into Ain't Too Proud. I mean, right? There's ways in which all the research you do, I'm sure, is incredibly useful. Um, Jersey Boys, you, you know, there are genres, but the way you make your actors move never repeats itself. Your ability to take each individual performer and start with a, a vocabulary that is so specific to them, their bodies, and the, the script that you're working with. But what is undeniable is how often the same people want to work with you. So what, what, if you were to give someone advice, obviously just in my short time with you, you're one of the nicest, kindest, warmest people I've ever met. So <laughs> I, get, I get the attraction to um, your energy and your, um, I don't know, positivity. But what is that? If you were sort of doing a TED talk on like how to be someone who gets to do it more than once, is there something that you can articulate about why that is something you've been so incredibly successful at? I think that um, one of the things that I'm always very aware is being incredibly open with mm. and malleable so that I've, it's a dance between the director and you, right? And every single director is different and you know, Des works very differently than Chris Ashley, than Jerry Mitchell, than Michael Greif, than Jerry Zachs. And I mold, I never compromise who I am and what I want and how I work because I'm, I don't change for them, right. but the way that I collaborate with that specific director is very, some it's very different because I'm, I, 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 you know, stylistically they're all different and I have to always be incredibly in tune, very in tune, very intuitive, um, very open. Um, and because at the end of the day, the show is the ego, mm. right? And the if, and, and the most important partnership is that of the director and the choreographer. And when 
and so these directors that I've worked with and who I've learned so much from, and one of the reasons why it took me forever to really even make the transition to a director was because I would say to myself, I'm not as good as Jerry or Des or Michael or Jerry or Chris, you know, how can I, but, you know, I've learned so much from all of them in a way I've been, you know, I've sort of been taking up a, a, a master course and, yeah. and, and, and direction from all of these greats. Yeah. 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 And so, but it is really being incredibly intuitive and, and aware and open and collaborative and communicative and understanding. Um, but yet maintaining a sense of who you are, your vision, but never really putting your ego on the table. You know, you should sort of think, you know, it's not about me. You know, it's about the show. Mm -hmm. And really, and understanding that you are servicing the vision of the director, mm -hmm. really, because he's guiding the entire ship. Mm -hmm. And I think that has made it incredibly, has been successful throughout. And, and, and I do, I, I'm still very close to all of them. And, um, you know, and, and of yeah. course, and I, and, and I will, I will jump hoops for all of them. Do you, um, do you still get nervous? You know, as the performer coming into audition, where even if, however well prepared we are, there's something that happens physically to our bodies when we have to walk from the waiting room through the door to the audition room. It's just like there's nothing you can do about it. Your body just automatically is nervous. Um, and, and part of the skill of and, and doing something a long time is learning how to do it anyway, right? To embrace that, use it, and still do your work and just acknowledge that it's happening. But I think people have a lot of fantasies about it, what, it, what it's like for the people on the other side of the table. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be you on the other side of the table in an audition situation? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, luckily I don't have to audition anymore, which is no, good. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, so that, so that part of it the is. The nerves uh, are not no, no, no. a part no, of it. No, but you still, you still, you know, there, you still have like now and then you have a meeting, you know, with, 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 the, for a project that, you know, because it's also not only a, you kind of auditioning, but at the same time, you're also auditioning them because it's, you know, something that I may not want to do. Yeah. But ultimately, I'm always incredibly, I, I do get nervous. I do get nervous before I start a show. I do get nervous when, you know, when I'm beginning to create a number or be, begin to think about this number, that number, this and this and that and all, all of it. I get, I get nervous before, you know, before today I had a Zoom for, for a TV special that I'm doing. And, you know, I get, I get nervous about, it's not nervous, it's, it's it's a feeling of um, it's, it's there's such newness there's you know un like unknown, um, but I care. Yeah, I care. I care so much, and 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 my work is is my passion, and my work is the thing that I love, and I'm always the way that I think is I'm only as good as my last show or my last project or whatever it is that I'm working on. So. I think it's all equally important. And I think that's what makes it, um, um, tan that makes it not, I, I hate to use the word nervous, but makes it so emotionally important. And I think mm -hmm. that's where you or get makes those, you vulnerable. That's right. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, can you share a little known fact about 
yourself, Sergio? A, li a little known fact about me mm -hmm. is that when I'm in dance rehearsals, when ah. I dance, I tie my shoelaces over and over again until I get the, sh the tightness around my foot the right, with the right pressure. And I did it when I used to perform. I would untie and tie my shoelaces before I went on stage over and over again. And I do the same thing when I'm in rehearsal. Like I'll tie and untie, you know, like I'll wiggle with the, with the be this and I'll do that. And, and the shoelace is very important. And the way that my shoe feel and the socks, I have to have the, the right socks on when I dance. Cause if they're too slippery, then I can't really, it's yeah. So it's the shoes. It's, the it's feet. a whole thing. It's yeah. a whole thing. Um, Sergio, what an honor and pleasure to get to have this time with you today. Thank you for being on the podcast. And I can't wait to see all the things that are going to come out in the future. It's so exciting. Thank you. Well, I, it, this is really, really wonderful. You were so engaging and, and just thank you for, for being so prepared and um, really wonderful. Thank you. This is, this is a, a lovely, lovely afternoon on this rainy day in new york city yeah exactly in the middle of a pandemic so thank you for for making my day of course of course um until next time Hey guys, one more thing. Have you been considering contributing to the podcast? Well, I for one would be so grateful if you enjoyed this episode or all the hundreds of episodes I've made in the past and all the episodes that are coming to you in the future and want to donate a little something, just head over to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. It couldn't be easier to do. No donation too small. Every donation just filled with gratitude from me. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Until next week. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. And the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.